Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Jesus had been traveling through Samaria and was tired. So he sat down at Jacob's well. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus asked her, would you give me a drink of water? She was taken aback. How come you, a Jew, are asking me for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't dare speak to a Samaritan. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God, and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I'll give you fresh, living water. And that's when the Samaritan woman met Jesus. Yeah, and that's when the Samaritan woman met Jesus. Good morning, church. Good morning and welcome this morning into a time in the Word together. And through our worship this morning, I was just hearing God in my spirit, wanting to communicate with you to make room for the word today. Not just the word Brian is bringing, but his word, his message. So I don't know how that translates for you. But I'm going to encourage you to do what God's prompting me to ask you to do, is make room for his word today. You just heard the reading from John chapter 4. And we're going to talk about, look at this life of the woman who met Jesus. And she may have been referred to in her hometown as the woman or that woman, based on her reputation based on what was known about her by the folks in her hometown who knew her quite well, because she was among them, she was part of them. And so some of them might have said, well, that woman. (laughs) But something changed when that woman, this woman, the woman from this town met Jesus. And we're going to go there this morning to see the before and after effects. You know, before and after we're going to look at this woman's life, of what she was like before, what she was like after. But, but some have actually criticized scholars as they look at this woman and some of her history and background and saying, uh, scholars, you've made her look too sinful. Maybe it wasn't her fault that she had numerous partners in her life. But this morning, we're not going to focus on her past acts. We're going to look on her life going forward. And what Jesus did that changed her life completely. Because this woman was truly changed when she met Jesus. Many of you are familiar with the passage. If you're not, you can look in your Bible, if you have a Bible, to John chapter 4. Or maybe you need to look there because I might say something and you're like, really, is that in the Bible? Is that really there? I want you to follow along and see the word that you're making room for God to move in you today. Not only was this woman's life changed, but the people around her were changed as well. Have you ever been influenced and impacted so much by 
what somebody else's experience that you were drawn to pursue and find out how their life was changed. Hmm. Let me begin by asking it maybe this way. If you made a significant change in your life and something about yourself, would the people in your hometown notice? (laughs) Would the people who you do work and life with notice? Would your family notice if you did a significant change? Sometimes for when we're raising junior high boys and they finally get the lesson to put on deodorant and they come in the room with deodorant on, you're like, there's something different about you today. You've changed. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe I should ask, how long does it take for people to notice when something's changed in your life? And you might say, well, it depends what it is. If it was an outfit you bought, how long does it take for someone in your life to notice you bought a new outfit? Um, Well, that's a bit hard nowadays, isn't it? Unless we post a selfie online and, and get to show somebody. But what about if you got new glasses? Did people notice right away? Or did it take a while for them to notice there's something different? Many of you know that I have two daughters in my family who work in the hairstyle industry. And so um, I hear we have family gatherings. We had one last night, and there's lots of conversation about hair salons and and hair. And and so I wonder, when you change your hair, how long does it take for someone to notice? Or what I hear about around the table is when we have these conversations of usually it's the female gender who gets a significant change of hair, style, or maybe color. And then I hear all the process it takes to do this. And the trick is apparently to do this change, this highlighting so subtly that a change isn't noticed. (laughs) But then for some of us guys sitting around the table, you say, how much did you pay to subtly make a change that nobody would notice? (laughs) No comment. That's a safe one right there. Make no comment. But changes in our lives, do people notice? Do they see a difference? Is there anything changing in your life? Or has anything changed in your life that would impact others? Think about lifestyle and habits or attitudes. If you carry the same attitude, if it's a little on the negative side, and something changes it, do people notice that? Or do they still see you as you're not the morning person? (laughs) Or maybe you're a joyful person, but you're feeling really drained, depleted. Does somebody say something to you? Where's your joy gone? Or maybe you are that joy-filled person. Do you ever respond to that person and say, wow, I love the joy you bring when you come into a room. I love your positive outlook on life. (laughs) Or do you just shoot down the optimist and say, there's no room for that here. When Jesus comes deeper into your life, changes happen And they do happen among us, and we should celebrate them. We could say, I can see Jesus shining in you. I can see what he's doing in your life. And this is where I bring us to John chapter 4, because this woman met Jesus, and her whole life and many lives around her completely changed from that day forward. She had such a significant change that people knew this just wasn't an outfit change. Is there so, did you buy a new outfit when you came back from the well? No, that's not what was going on. There wasn't even the criticism of, oh, she's going to fall off the wagon again next week. Just ignore her. No, something changed in this woman so dramatically, and the people wanted to find out who did you meet and what happened in your life. You see, today, in this message number two in our series, is going to be about when you invite Jesus all the way into your life. 
He will transform you from the inside out. I want you to see this in the woman. I want you to respond to to desire a complete change in your own life from the inside out. Have you made room for Jesus to come all the way into your life? Think about that this morning as we look at this woman. Starting off in chapter 4, the first couple of verses give us a context of what was taking place. And actually, the Pharisees reveal, remember who the Pharisees are, they're the religious leaders who felt like you needed to do everything right, cross every T, dot every I, if you were going to be acceptable by God in heaven. And the Pharisees were keeping a little bit of a competition, and they were kind of stir, trying to stir something up because that's what these guys did, because they wanted others to look worse. And when others look worse, then they felt like they looked better. And so they said, hey, Jesus and your disciples, do you know you're baptizing more than John the Baptist is? And they started to post the scores of who's in the lead of baptisms. Such a petty response. Jesus said, I'm having nothing to do with this. And so he left the area of Judea, and it said he traveled north, and he was headed up to Galilee, to his own hometown and area. And as he was headed there, recognize this. So Jesus left Judea. He's headed north walking, because that's how they traveled in Jesus' day, most often. And he's walking, and this is about a 120-kilometer route. Average pace of walking would take you 25 hours. I don't think Jesus and the disciples set out to do it in one 25-hour period. But they were heading north. And as they were headed out, we come to verse 4. Now he, had got, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So recognize on this journey headed north from the area of Judea, they had to go through the area of Samaria before they got the area of Galilee. And they happened through Samaria to get to a town nearby that was called Sychar. And Jesus knew that there was a well there. It was kind of like a rest station, a service station, right? We know what they're like. And he said, hey, I'm going to go park over here for a little bit. And the rest of the disciples said, well, we're going to go into town and we're going to buy some food. And town from the well, as you do a little bit of study, might have been a kilometer and a half, maybe two kilometers. So a little bit of distance, right? So Jesus went and we read that he sat down by the well. Jesus was tired from his journey. Remember, they're headed on this 120-kilometer journey. It's about the sixth hour, which in our understanding is about noon hour. So they'd been probably on the road for the morning, walking. So three hours, four hours, maybe they started right at sunup. So it was five or six hours they'd been walking. And what we read, John says, is they were tired. Jesus was tired from the journey. So he sat down. The literal interpretation is just as he was, he sat there. So picture walking four or five hours, maybe six. You're dusty, you're dirty. We're going to see that he's thirsty. (laughs) So can you picture yourself in that kind of um, experience? And so you just kind of plop down right there by the well, tired, let out a sigh. That's Jesus. Have you ever been on a journey where you've been tired? (laughs) 
Jesus can relate to your weariness. He can relate to when you're thirsty. He knows what it's like to feel the feelings you feel. He can relate to you. Now come to verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The woman is pointing out something that's obvious without saying it to Jesus. Um, why are you asking me for a drink? <laughs> this is a bit awkward, but I don't see anybody else around here, so I'll ask you the question that you should already know yourself. You're a Jew. <laughs> I'm a Samaritan. We don't associate with each other. Some other translations of Scripture say we don't really get along. <laughs> we wouldn't be caught dead with each other is what the message version says. So what's going on here that you're stopping and you're asking me for something? Friends, note, Jesus' purpose is people, not a destination. Jesus' is concern for people, not finally getting to his his hometown, his little cottage where he could just go and, and, you know, ignore people. Jesus is about people. And so this is a sobering reminder for all of us because God might just put a person in your path when you're weary. God might bring somebody along that he wants you to have conversation with. Do you ever start your day with saying, God, I want to make room for you in my day? except for 9 o'clock, 10.30, I'm busy. Maybe get back to me. I've got a little, little window after lunch. You can fit it in there, Lord, if you need me for something. Is that how you go about planning your day? Jesus made room in his day for who the Father would bring across his path. And Jesus' travel plans always included people. I think that is so cool. As I look at this path, pattern, what was going on in Jesus, I think about even their road trip. <laughs> Did the disciples know that they were going to go all the way to Galilee? Often Jesus said, come follow me, <laughs> and he invited the guys to come along. Did the disciples ever say, hey, Jesus, are we there yet? <laughs> you know, we've experienced those, right, with the people that are coming on our road trip with us, and sometimes we don't have patience for the people, <laughs> Because we just want to get where we're going, or we want to get unpacked, or we want to get settled, or we don't want to have to deal with whatever's on the journey of life. But Jesus sat down, and he had a reason to sit down. We think it was just because he was thirsty. Perhaps the Father said, I've got a divine appointment for you today. There's a woman that I want to invite into my family. She's going to make room for me today, and I want you, son, to go have a conversation with her. So Jesus sits down, and right away the woman reveals the divisiveness of the day. She says, how can you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? I'm a woman, and I'm a Samaritan woman. There's some of the divide in their day, male and female, hierarchy and those who are dominated, Jew and Samaritan. These are some of the divisions that were happening in Jesus' day. But the rationale Jesus had in his mind was 
The Father wants to do something eternally in this woman's life. She's going to make room for the Father today. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift God, the gift of God, oh, let me back up to verse 9. I skipped ahead a little bit. Let me come back to verse 9, because as I talk about this division that's going back and forth, this woman is, is kind of pointing out, we're here at the well just for water. <laughs> and so she's concerned with the physical, tangible, visible water that's before. Yeah, this is what we want to do, is quench our thirst, get some water. But then Jesus takes the conversation deeper in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as he also his sons and the flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman responded, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep coming here to have to draw water. Jesus introduces to this woman the gift of God he refers to. He's hinting at eternal life, something that's living that will flow, can flow within you if you ask the creator God to do it in your life. She points out the visible, right? She's thinking just literal visible. You don't have a cup. You don't have a bucket. The well is deep. How on earth do you expect to get water out of this well? And then she refers to the ancestors, This well belongs to our father, Jacob. You remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Well, Isaac had given Jacob plots of land. Jacob had given Joseph, his second youngest son, this well, this spring to drink from. And the Samaritans felt like, well, if it was good enough for Jacob, Joseph, it's going to be good enough for us to drink as well. It is good. But I'm going to be thirsty in a few minutes. Count on it. <laughs> and so this conversation's kind of going this way. And, and Jesus says that to the woman. You're going to be thirsty if you drink from this water. And she goes, well, I'll play along then. <laughs> Where do you go to get this living water so I don't have to come here and work every day? She's still thinking literal, right? But Jesus is drawing her deeper. Notice the thread of conversation that Jesus is taking this woman on. He began to move from the outside, talking about, can I have a drink? And he's about to move to the relationship side with this woman. You see, Jesus works from the outside in and wants to change us in this way. Verse 16, he said to her, well, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So the response is going a little bit deeper here. 
Jesus turns the conversation to relationships. Go get your husband. Jesus must have had some inside information from the father. And the woman reveals that, yeah, I, I, I don't have a husband. Jesus affirms and says, that's right. You have a bit of a relationship deficit. And the relationships you are still pursuing aren't going to give you satisfaction. The relationships you're pursuing are still going to leave you thirsty if you keep going about it the same way. The woman responds and says, whoa, I could see you're a prophet. (laughs) She's the one who turned the conversation a little bit more godlike. It's obvious that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, and then she shifts again, okay, prophet, um, let, me, let me go back to the well here. Our ancestors say this mountain is where we should come and worship, but you Jews claim you should do it in Jerusalem. I think that's where you came from, right? She turns the conversation about, maybe I could deflect this a bit because it's getting a bit uncomfortable of him knowing my personal life and how, my relationships I've been in, and so she shifts it toward worship, and Jesus just smiles again. He's like, oh, this is going to go deeper. This is getting good, Father. You're going to reveal yourself to this woman, aren't you? And Jesus says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, or sorry, the woman says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, And we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. His answer to the woman focused her and took her right deep into where her soul was at where her soul was longing for something more. Jesus knew, Jesus knows, every one of our souls longs for something eternal. And so he spoke right to her about worship and the worship of God the Creator. And he spoke to her about how the Father is desiring worshipers to worship in spirit and in truth. Not in location that that we think is special, but to worship from our soul our mind, will, and emotions. To worship from what gets reborn spiritually, our spirit, when the Holy Spirit, when we invite Jesus into our life and the Holy Spirit comes in. This is where Jesus is speaking to this woman. You know that this woman's life got changed, right? This woman is eventually the author of the hymn we sang this morning, How Great Thou Art. Did you know that? I'm just kidding, that's a joke. But this woman is getting drawn in to discover who... I'm just seeing if you're awake here, guys. Stay with me. Half of you are hidden right now, okay? So I got I to gotta keep drawing on you. This, Jesus is calling on this woman. Are you worshiping from your, from in truth and from your spirit? Are you worshiping from the inside? Because right now it seems like all you're concerned with is the outside. Jesus is setting her up to say, will you invite me all the way in? So let's go a little further here in this this chapter, verse 25. The woman responds to this context about worship, and she says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. 
And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Isn't that cool? She knew that there was a Messiah coming, and he's going to explain everything. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you're longing for. In our modern day language, folks, this would be a mic drop moment, right? She would be like, wait a second, what? (laughs) I thought you were just going to make my day easier so I wouldn't have to come back here and get water. What? She started to connect the dots in her mind and in her soul and her spirit, I believe, began to leap forward. She's like, what? What, what is happening here in this moment? And it's moments like this that you're like, oh, I just want to see what else unfolded, right? It's like, okay, what happened next in the story? What happened next that unfolded here? What we read happened next is just then the disciples returned from town. Hey, who wants burgers? Jesus, we got your burrito. You know, you could see them all coming up to him with the food. And, and maybe they interrupted Maybe they didn't. Because in this moment, when the, Jesus, when the disciples returned to the well, in this very point, at this point of the conversation, is what the literal translation says, is the disciples were surprised to see that he was talking to a woman. But they didn't interrupt him. <laughs> I bet you the Heavenly Father said, boys, you just be quiet and sit over there and eat. <laughs> My son is talking, and he's about to introduce himself even deeper to this woman. The conversation had to have continued in that moment. Why do I know this? Even though it's not scripted and written here for us to understand, I know that the conversation continued because it says the disciples didn't interrupt him. They observed and watched him having conversation with the woman. And we will read later on that the woman eventually testifies that this one I met at the well, Jesus, the Messiah, He told me everything I had ever done. That takes a little bit of time. The conversation continued between Jesus and the woman. It extended, and I believe Jesus began to minister to her spirit. He kept speaking, and she kept saying, How did you know about my relationships? How do you know that I'm concerned about where worship? How do you know I want to worship and find the right place? I hear you speaking into the depth of my soul. This is how I envisioned the conversation would have gone. Because what I see transpired here, there was a hunger in this woman. She didn't, she could have given up on Jesus. I mean, you're like, you're out of your tree. You came here for a drink at the well and you don't even have a cup. You don't even understand life. And she could have left at that moment. But she stayed and she kept drawing in into the conversation with Jesus. She wanted to know more. How do I know this? Think about it. If you read on in the text, it said the woman left her water pot, her drawing jar, there, and she booted back to town because she wanted to tell her friends and family about who the conversation she had just had and who she had just met. She left what was valuable in the physical realm to go tell a value she had experienced in the spiritual realm. She immediately thought, not of herself in that moment, but of her friends and family, I've got to go tell my, my hometown about who I've just had a conversation with. That shows me that something transitioned inside of her. She said and explained that this man knew everything about my life. 
Only God knows everything about your life. That's how I know a change happened in this woman. And her testimony, you can read it in chapter 4, her testimony became so convincing that many people came out from town and wanted to meet who this woman had met. This woman's life had been changed. We don't exactly know what her reputation was in the town. We can make some assumptions and put some connections together. But when she showed up, and she then became so influential that a number of townspeople came with her, I believe that they saw the change was sincere and real. They said, something's gone on in this woman. She didn't just have an outfit change when she left town. She didn't just change her hair at the well. There's something inside of her spirit and soul that has changed. We've got to go with her and meet this man who told her everything about her life. Can you see how much she was changed when she just met Jesus? For me... I met Jesus when I was just a young boy. I was four, maybe five years old when my parents began to talk to me about Jesus. When my mom would do devotions with me, and I think she was just trying to get me to get tired so I'd fall asleep as a young boy. But I began to be intrigued about this Jesus person that she would read about. I began to pursue Jesus when I was 12, 13 years old because I had questions and I I wanted to know more about this Jesus if he was really somebody special to follow. I started to run after Jesus when I was 16 because I thought, if this Jesus is the Son of God, then I want him to change my whole life from the inside out. I was baptized when I was 17. I'm like, I want to identify with this Jesus. I began to be an expressive worshiper when I was 18 and 19 because I didn't care about the rest of you or the world. I'm like, if this is God, I'm going to worship him full out. He had done a change on the inside of me. It was at 19 and 20 that I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to read your word. And if this lines up with all that I've experienced about you, then I'm following you for the rest of my life. That's how Jesus changed Brian. Has Jesus changed you yet? How much have you invited him in? Have you made room for Jesus in your life? Or... Are you more comfortable just to give Jesus a spare room? Hey, Jesus, (laughs) you know, hang out in here. Like, I want you in my life, but just hang out in the spare room. We've got fresh sheets. You know, there's a glass of water. You know, you like water, so it's right beside the bed. And and Jesus, just, just hang out there, and I'll open the door and call on you when I need you. Is that where you put Jesus? When the song says, when the Spirit calls, make room, friends, he's asking you to open your whole life. And say, Jesus, come all the way in. Change everything about me. Because there's many people I want to go and tell you about. In my life, I said, Jesus, it's all you or it's nothing. Because I know you didn't go halfway to save me. So I don't want to go halfway to experience you. There's an amazing side note in this message, and as usual with me, I get passionate about the word, and there's more to come, and so you're going to dig into it, because Jesus taught his disciples that he actually doesn't even need to eat or drink, and the Father can sustain him. Check that out in this passage this afternoon. But the woman got to Samaria, or sorry, to Sychar, and she began to speak to her neighbors and friends. And what we read here in John is many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two more days. Remember, Jesus' priority is people, not destinations. And he stayed for two more days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, this morning, whether you're listening in with us online, whether you're in the room, whether you've been in this room many times or you've been to our website many times, I'm asking you, have you invited Jesus all the way in? I I hope and pray that you're not just quarantining him in the spare room. (laughs) Let him all the way into your space and your life. If there's any parts of your life that you're not inviting him into, like your closed doors at the other end of the hallway of your life, because you don't want him to see in there, I challenge you. I encourage you. I really just call on you to let Jesus handle all the rooms in your life. Let him come all the way in and change you. From my testimony, not all the people in my hometown got saved. But what I'm keenly aware of right now is I represent three generations of my family, and they are all walking to follow Jesus, to explore him, and I'm there to have conversations and say, this is how Jesus changed me. Let me introduce him to you so you can follow Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Have you invited him in to change you? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back out now. And they're going to take us back into a song that we sang earlier in our service. It's a song about hope. It says, actually, it's a song about living hope. And how Jesus is that living hope for each one of us. While, we're, while they sing it out, and they might encourage you to sing it out, I want you to be thinking about that question. Have you invited Jesus in? Is he your living hope? Has he changed you just on the outside or from the inside out? Team, would you step forward and lead us into this song and let the song be an expression of your belief. Let it be a prayer as you consider this question. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.